So if you have a Bible or you use an app, we're going to be in 1 Timothy. It'll be on the screen as well, uh, so that you know. 1 Timothy is a book that was written... Um, some people argue about this, but it's written by a guy named Paul, most likely, to a guy named Timothy, and that's why it's called Timothy, and there's two of them, so it's First and Second Timothy in the Bible. And it's a book, uh, Timothy's like a young leader in this emerging thing that's called the church. And you can, if you can imagine um, being in a church when Jesus was just on earth, like, uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, uh, what that must have been like. You, like, there would still be people alive who knew him, you know, or people whose maybe their parents heard him speaking, and, and like there's really first-hand, second-hand information as opposed to the generations that we have, and what that must be like. And then they start a church, and there's no examples. Like it, when we, uh, when I have two shelves, two like four-foot sections, or how big am I? So three-foot sections uh, of books on how to plant churches. Uh, there were no books like that, and so they just started things, and they thought, well, let's pray and then see what happens, and then go with it. And, and they did some really amazing things, but they did some things that were off track as well. And so the book of Timothy, the two books of Timothy are written to try to help Timothy lead this thing called the church and, and try to help him understand how it should function and where it should go um, and, and really like uh, what to watch out for and, and how to focus your energies and, and, and those kinds of things. So Timothy was this young guy, this leader, um, and, uh, and he ended up leading churches and, and, and just it was a striking way that uh, Paul talks to him. And we're going to read all of First uh, Timothy 3, the whole thing. And we're going to read all the way through, and then we're going to talk about it. So, um, and, and we're not going to go the way that everybody thinks uh, we maybe should go, but we're gonna, uh, we'll get there. Uh, verse 2 says, Therefore an overseer must be a brother approached a husband of one wife. Most people go to First Timothy to talk about whether elders uh, and deacons should be boys or girls. Uh, we're not going to argue about that today. Is that alright? Uh, if you want to, you can tweet me about it, and, uh, and, and we can argue about it there. But uh, that's, we're not going to focus on, um, like, theological nuances of the Greek word there and wife, all right? And instead, we're going to look at what the Bible's calling us to do today. Is that okay? If you like to fight, I do too, and we can argue over these things. And, uh, um, <laughs> and we'll build a great friendship of hating each other. So uh, I'm going to read the whole thing. And, uh, and then we're going to talk through it bit by bit, alright? So this is First Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and if you have a different Bible, it might say elder, or pastor, or shepherd, or maybe even like bishop, alright? Um, overseer is kind of a general word. If anyone aspires to the officer of office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must... Excuse me. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith 
with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. I hope, and this is Paul saying this to Timothy, remember, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. One of the great things about Paul at this end, just a personal thing, he was this amazing killer theologian, right? Like he writes these whole lists of here's what you need, here's what you need. But he was such like an excitable person that he ends with these like hymns and, and poems sometimes and he just gets really ramped up and he gets so excited about talking about Jesus that he ends up uh, going into this poetry section, which you can't see on the screen, but in my Bible it's a poetry section. So... Um, Let's talk about leadership in the church. We've been talking all month about what the Grove is and how we're not just a church for ourselves. We're not just a church. Uh, like you, we don't encourage people to come to the Grove because uh, the, for consumption, for them to get everything that they can out of it. The Grove is, is more of a movement of people who have a common vision and a common mandate from God uh, to go into the world and, and make disciples. And so we've talked about how we're not just a church for ourselves, uh, but we're a church for those who don't believe. We're a church for the vulnerable and the weak and the poor in our society. Uh, we're a church uh, for the global church. We're a church for other churches. Uh, and, and then today we're going to talk about how we're a church for our church family. Uh, and it, it really... Um, these are things that I hope that we are evaluated on when we get to heaven. I hope that I'm personally, as your pastor, evaluated on these things when I get to heaven. Not on how big is our building, how big is our budget. This is the ABCs of pastor bragging. Attendance, buildings, and cash. Um, so I'm going to a pastor's conference this week and I'm going to brag about these three things because I'm insecure. Um, but, <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, thanks for laughing at me. I just, <laughs> I'm insecure. You laugh. Jerks. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I really, I actually, it, it's hilarious to get together because you can lowball your numbers and then, be, and then someone will brag over you and, and you help them feel good about their thing. So um, please don't give this week. Uh, don't come next week and, uh, <laughs> and, and we'll have low numbers on all those things that we can brag about. But uh, anyways. Oh, well, I hope when, we, when we're evaluated, uh, that we're evaluated on uh, how we serve the poor in our community. Uh, I hope we're evaluated on how we serve each other in our community. Uh, this is why uh, we have this ministry. Uh, it's like a meals ministry. It's a, there's, a, there's another thing. If you're on Facebook, you can join this Facebook group that uh, when someone has a baby or has a tragedy or a life change, uh, we have people that enjoy making meals and bringing them over. And I can tell you, if, this, if you've been the recipient of this or your family has been the recipient of this or your friends, it's an incredible ministry to have good food in your house when your whole life is shambles or when you have a baby and you're discovering what lack of sleep really is, you know. Uh, there is 
it, it's a simple, simple thing, but it means a world of difference. And people can argue with us over what our theology is, but they can't argue with caring for each other. Does that make sense? But you can say, you guys believe a guy who was actually God and rose from the dead, you're crazy. Okay, maybe we are. But we care for each other. And there is no one in our community who will go through things or go through uh, severe life change alone. No one. Uh, no one has to do that in our community. Um, they may choose to, but they don't have to. Uh, so there is this uh, existing element of the church that we exist for each other and, and that's why we're going to talk about church leadership today. So Paul begins by saying this. This is a trustworthy saying uh, that apparently there's this saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Two things. First of all, it's noticeable that this is an office. All right, Because um, some of you may have been burned by the organizational church. I talk to people all the time, especially in the Pacific Northwest, uh, about this. I'm against the institutional church. Uh, and, and the institutional church has done some really great things. Hospitals, schools, you know, those kinds of things. We've also done some pretty heinous things. The Crusades, supporting black slavery in America. We've made some mistakes, you know, like big mistakes. Uh, and, and so as an institution, uh, we don't call people to believe in the church. Uh, but this church as is not just an, an organism, it is like an organized organism. Uh, there are churches, there are, I was talking to someone the other day, they don't have a senior pastor in their church, and they're having a debate over whether they need a senior pastor. Uh, and it's a, kind of a funny thing. This is a large church, uh, bigger than our church, and they're having a debate whether they need a senior pastor. And, and the thing is, I, the, uh, um, you will have someone who determines the doctrine in your church, uh, and if you don't get a senior pastor, someone else will. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, have a fun time with that. But um, <laughs> I had a different opinion, and 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 I don't, and I wasn't looking to get hired there. It was in a cold place. So. Um, <laughs> But there is, uh, there, there is uh, this uh, tension between this organized element of the church and this like more fluid organism part of the church. But Paul calls this office, meaning an actual position, not a giftedness, um, not like an identity, um, just but an, an actual office of overseer, uh, of a person who is responsible for the care and the shepherding uh, and the, the leading and the guiding and the serving in the church. Uh, and this looks different in different churches. Uh, there's no like uh, right way or wrong way. Well, there are many right ways and many wrong ways instead. But there's not just one model. But there is an office in the church of oversight and overseeing it. And then Paul says to seek this is a noble task. Paul is saying it's a good thing for you to want to be a leader in the church. For you to want to hold an office of responsibility in the church. Now this doesn't mean everyone should be pastors, right? Because uh, there is some gifted elements to this. Uh, but it is a good thing, apparently, according to the Bible, uh, for you to seek to be a leader in the church. For you to seek to have responsibility in the church. These are noble tasks that people are seeking. Uh, so seeking leadership is a, is a noble thing and is a good thing. Now, how that happens determines whether it happens. We're a church plant and one of the best advice I got when, I, when we started was to watch out for nut jobs. Because they'll see a church plant, and that's a judging word, but it's true. 
um, they'll see a church plant and they'll think, I have an agenda. Uh, I would like to come into that church plant and push my agenda on to that church plant. Uh, and and, and it, it's just, it's been hilarious because we'll be able to see those and Pastor Daryl and I will get together with them and, and they'll be like, uh, here's my resume. Uh, we've had people with doctorates in, in pastoral experience and they want to be in charge. And we're like, all right, um, but nobody else wants you to be in charge. <laughs> but okay. And, uh, so there's this kind of weird thing that, that goes on. And we have a leadership a pipeline. It begins with the broom. Uh, and, and it just, you know, everyone here serves. There is no, like, glory position. We, we don't put our gold thrones up here and sit in them and then have our gold globe turning behind. Although that is in the plans. When we get a building, I'm getting one of those. So, um, <laughs> I'm just telling you, but right after I get my helicopter. So there is, uh, there is this kind of, um, there is this kind of, um, that it doesn't mean that everyone should be a pastor. It doesn't mean that everyone should be an elder. But it does mean that it's a good thing to seek a growing amount of responsibility. And in our church, we have a heavily relational leadership dynamic. And here's what that means. Um, two things. It means that people become leaders because the church says they're leaders, not because I say they're leaders. Does that make sense? And, and I can recommend, hey, I think this person has leadership gifts, but this church has a relational structure so that um, practically it looks like this. We're going to have new life groups starting up with the marriage series next week. Um, if you want to lead a life group, you can lead a life group. We put the questions online. You invite your friends over to your house. We'll even buy you a DVD set for this next series because there's DVDs for the next series. Well, they're, I don't know, 20 or 30 bucks. We'll buy that. But if nobody goes, mm, no, I don't want to, if everybody says, I, I don't want to be in that person's house. Uh, uh, that person uh, seems a little nutty and I don't see them as, as an effective person to speak into my life. Um, you're going to have difficulty being a leader, Right? Maybe you can find the other nutty people and you can all gather together. Uh, but, uh, or, or maybe that person's too like this or I'm not like them. There's, there's, a, there's a relational aspect to leadership here at the Grove. All right? We have voluntary uh, life groups. Nobody's assigned a life group according to your neighborhood or according to your age. You can look at them and say, hey, yeah, these are some people that I think... I would love to be in relationship with because I think they would help me grow and, and it'd be a good place for me to serve them. That's what relational leadership looks like. So there's this cool part of it where uh, we're able to just be honest and open about giftedness. Some people, like, if you've ever been in a life group led by me, I'm a terrible life group leader. Terrible. I ask questions for five minutes and then everyone goes, huh? All right, uh, it's terrible because I'm a preacher. I'm not a life group leader, uh, and so if, if you've ever if you've had me lead a small group, it's awful, awful. Uh, we did a test run of the marriage series with small small groups. It's terrible. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is so awkward. Why someone else should be asking these questions because they're terrible? But uh, it it is. It's just reality. Um, <laughs> so please don't come to my life group. But. Uh, <laughs> On the other hand, we have a really slow leadership development process, all right? Like, we're really slow at developing leaders in this church. Um, that means we tend to not just rise people to leadership at a rapid rate and then get them into leadership when they can't handle it yet. We're, we're really slow at this because you need to know the people around you, 
all right? Uh, and so people will be recognized and, and they'll grow that way. But here's what, so I don't want you to look at this as, you know, because we do voting on our elders here at this church, if you're a member, and uh, I don't want you to look at this and say, here's the criteria that I'm going to judge on. What I want you to hear here is that seeking the office of overseer is a noble task, and here's what it looks like. And so here's what you can work towards. And here's the list that the qualifications of an elder get. And this is just straight out of the Bible. They're above reproach. Uh, they're a husband of one wife. Um, now, some people take that to say that they all have to be male, but they, there's a lot of arguing over that. Uh, so we're not going to argue over that today. We have male and female elders at the Grove, so that kind of lets you know where we land in that argument. Um, but that's not an argument that defines us as a church. Um, so, but really, that when that's talking, it doesn't mean... Um, some people think that means they're not polygamous, right? Like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be an elder, so let's get a second wife in here. No, all right? Um, <laughs> that's not okay <laughs> so, uh, that's not okay for several reasons but it, me it refers to faithfulness to your spouse um, sober minded self controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunk uh, not violent not quarrelsome not a lover of money someone who manages their own house with dignity and their children are submissive to their leadership a lot of this, there's a couple of things that we notice in here um, that, oh wait, I missed a couple. Not a recent convert, because they may be conceited, um, and that means they didn't turn to Jesus recently, and that they're well thought of by outsiders. So people outside the church won't be surprised when they hear you go to the grove. Uh, oh, he goes to church? That, you won't hear that. All right, from someone who meets the qualifications to be an overseer in the church. Now, a, lot, a couple of things. A lot of these are relational just in nature. Being hospitable, right? Um, being uh, respectable, uh, not being quarrelsome. These are how you relate to the people around you. In order to be hospitable, it, it means you serve other people in hospitality. Maybe having them into your home or uh, maybe uh, serving on like, something like our coffee ministry or our welcome teams. Um, those are areas where we develop overseers in our church. That's, if you want to know what our elder development program is, uh, that's the beginning of it. Because hospitality is an important part. So if you don't like people, you'll have a difficult time being a leader in a church. <laughs> a severely difficult time. Some of the things um, are uh, time. Uh, time and training. Being able to teach. Uh, if, and if you're a teacher, you know this isn't natural for everyone. Or, or if you're a student, you know this isn't natural for everyone, right? Especially if you go to college and you get a research prof. Wow, right? And you're like, nobody knows what you're saying. <laughs> Being able to teach takes experience, takes training, takes time to be a quality teacher. It takes people willing to sit under you when you're a bad teacher and give you some honest, helpful criticism to help you become a good teacher. All right? Uh, this, it takes time. It takes uh, some experience. There's some things that take demonstration. Like you need to uh, just work through this and people need to observe you so that they can say, yes, this person is, hospi is hospitable. All right? It takes integrity so that the people on the outside of the church recognize the same things as the people on the inside of the church. You're, don't, you're not one person with lacking integrity in your business life and then having integrity when you walk into church. Now, it also talks about the home being the proving ground 
for your church leadership. Your home is your proving ground. If you want to um, learn to oversee other believers, practice overseeing the short believers in your home. <laughs> All right, The children. This is where, if your children look to you as their primary uh, spiritual teacher, if mom and dad are seen as the pastors of the home, then there's going to be a natural ability to lead others. Does that make sense? So when your children say, who's my pastor? They don't need to say James. They don't need to say Diane, who runs our children's ministries. They can say, mom and dad. Mom and dad teach me more about prayer than anyone else. Mom and dad teach me more about God than anyone else. Mom and dad spend more time in faith development with me than... They'll never say that. But you know what I mean. They won't use those words. But they'll be able to recognize, I follow Jesus because I learned it from my parents. Not from some Joe that we saw for a half hour on Sundays. All right. Um, well, the, both of those roles are important. Parents are always the number one indicator of whether a, a child will become a Christian. But your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your home, like your management of your home, your relationship uh, with your children are all uh, development areas for leadership that God has given and that God has developed. Now, that doesn't mean like the, uh, your children need to be submissive to your leadership. Now, some people will say, you know, there's always the classic pastor's kid that rebels, right? This is the story of like Billy Graham and Franklin Graham, because Franklin Graham rebelled. You can read about it in a book, right? Uh, and you can guess which one of my kids are the rebel. But, um, or, but there is this kind of, you know, the one pastor's kid always goes bad. And so the pastor shouldn't be a pastor anymore. And they take away, like, the kid is 22 years old. You tend to not have as much, okay, you shouldn't have as much control over your kid when they're 22 as when they're 6, all right? Uh, if your kid is 6 and they're coming to Sunday school with a knife and dropping F-bombs, you know, maybe we need to have a conversation about effective parenting. Um, but there's, so there's different things than, we're going to have a, a conversation for sure, but we have a security team that will have that conversation. Um, <laughs> tackling six-year-olds. But, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's not like we look at someone and say, oh, you have one kid who made a choice as an adult, and so now you are... That's not... This isn't... We're not talking about this as black and white qualifications. We're talking about this as a calling for you. If it's a noble thing to seek, then you should be seeking this. Now, then the scripture goes into what deacons are, all right? This is verse 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Here's the qualifications for deacons. And a deacon means, uh, like uh, the word overseer has some, carries some responsibility. Deacon is much more of a servant role. All right? We use words right here like team leaders and stuff like that, that the Bible would use the word deacon. The Bible doesn't say we have to use their words. But um, the, here's what a deacon needs to be uh, taken care of. They need to be dignified. You'll notice some of the things repeat. Not double-tongued. Some of your Bibles may say not using devious speech. All right? They need to not be addicted to wine. All right? And that would be all alcohol that you can't say, well, I, I don't drink wine. I drink these... Um, <laughs> Not greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, they hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, so they have integrity with God. That they're tested first, so they are given opportunities, and then they're proved blameless. They have dignified wives. Or it could mean that the wives are dignified, uh, if they're a female deacon. Uh, they're not, so their wives aren't slanderers, and their wives are faithful in all things. Then they're faithful to their wife. 
They manage their children. They manage their households. And, and this is verse 13. For deacons, they gain good standing and they gain great confidence in the faith uh, that is in Christ. A couple of things uh, that just kind of add to this. You know, a deacon takes out the teaching role. That's a distinction between someone who oversees and carries that responsibility and then someone who, who can serve. So if you're like, I've tried teaching, I'm terrible at it. I don't want to be a, a teacher or a preacher or a small group leader or something. Uh, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you should stop trying to grow in the qualifications of church leadership. Serving the church means taking personal responsibility to grow into a leader. All right? Now, a deacon carries out, and they mention this in a very nice way when they say uh, they have to have dignified wives whose wives aren't slanderers, whose wives are faithful in all things. There are some people, uh, I have friends who aren't pastors anymore uh, because uh, their wife isn't a pastor's wife or who aren't ministry leaders anymore because their husband isn't uh, a pastor's husband, if that makes sense. Uh, And this isn't an evaluation on them. But there are distinctions. Mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey, who uh, is a leader and uh, he runs Financial Peace University and does those kinds of things, he does an interview and he talks about this, does an interview uh, with uh, their last interview before they hire people at his organization with the husband and wife. Because he says, we don't want to hire crazy and we don't want to hire married to crazy. All right? Uh, because, and, and he says this, and this is his words, not mine. If I agree with him, that, but um, if you hire crazy, you're going to have to fire them. And if you hire married to crazy, they're going to be distracted and not do a good enough job at their work, right? Uh, and you probably have friends like this at work who are, who you would say, not to their face, that they're married to crazy, right? Some of your spouses think this. Um, but <laughs> but there, is, there is this... Um, there are some people who are hampering their spouse and their spouse's ability to influence other through their own um, needs and their own acting out in sinful ways. Does that make sense? Some of you who are husbands or who are wives, your uh, sin and your lack of repentance affects the ability of the other person to carry out influence for Jesus or to lead in the church. I don't know that this is fair or right, but it's true. And it's real. Um, there, are, uh, there are different marriages and different ways that marriages work. But your marriage can be for the gospel or it can work against the gospel. We're going to talk about this in the marriage series, but by the Jesus, God uses the example of Jesus and the church as husband and wife. And so the husband and wife, your marriage tells the story of the gospel. And the reason you would want to have a good marriage is because it tells the right story and doesn't tell a twisted story about what the gospel is. If you're married, uh, and if that's what God's chosen for you, then, and, and your marriage is terrible, and then you tell people, following Jesus is awesome because the church is the bride of Christ, and they look at your marriage, they will say, I will not want to get into that. Right? So sometimes, um, and, and sometimes through no fault of your own, you walk through these difficult times, uh, and, and you need to maybe take a step back from leadership to focus on your own personal development for the benefit of your spouse. Does that make sense? Uh, So this isn't a judgment thing, and I'm not going to throw that out, but I will say the Bible talks very clearly 
There's spouses who are slanderous and unfaithful make it really difficult for their spouse to be an effective leader in the church. So if you're talking junk about everyone in the church, well then those other, if you're a husband and you're talking junk about all the other men in the church, well guess what? Those men are going to talk to their wives and their wives are going to talk to your wife and then they're not going to respect your wife because of you. Does that make sense? And the other is true as well. If you're a woman and you're a drama queen, some men are drama queens too. <laughs> but if you are, then the other wives are going to notice you're a drama queen. They're going to tell their husbands and then their husbands aren't going to see your husband as a leader in the church. Uh, I don't have any, it's not a rule, it's just true. Does that make sense? Uh, so I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to condemn you, but I am trying to say that we carry out roles together and when you decide to get married uh, you're hitching your truck to someone and you don't get to you know you don't get to say hey this is a fancy truck but that trailer is crazy you know <laughs> that's not how it works <laughs> you can decide in your marriage who's the truck and who's the trailer uh, and the benefits of both but but there is it really is it, it is a real thing and, and you know this and you know this from personal experience some of you know this from your own personal experience some of you see it in others uh, that, that you're just like wow uh, we're not having them over right uh, and, and that's just how it goes and, and I'm not going to pretend that it, we're not going to pretend like that's not true it is true when you work on your marriage like the reason that we're doing a marriage series isn't so that you can be happier all right? It's because your development as a Christian is often linked to your development in your relationship with your spouse. It really just is. And, and those of you who have gone through difficult times, you know this is true. And, and you know that you grow through different ways. Or sometimes you grow through a ton of pain. Uh, like... I need you to know that when, like, this marriage series is coming up. I feel like I'm doing a commercial. But me and my wife have gone through it twice together. We read the books individually, and then we did the whole small group thing. And it sucks, all right? Um, because it is entirely difficult to look at yourself and admit that you're not as perfect as you think you are. Does that make sense? You might not have the same personality as me. You might, I think I'm pretty awesome. Um, and uh, I just... Uh, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Maybe you don't think I'm awesome, but one out of two is not bad. So, yeah. But there, there is this, you know, and then to actually sit down and have to look and admit to your spouse and apologize for your shortcomings and commit to growth, uh, that's a challenging thing. But you want to know what makes your marriage better? It's not fixing your spouse. Uh, it's working on yourself. You can't control someone else. Uh, you can only control yourself. And so when we walk through these things or when we talk about what leadership is, it's not a matter of you saying, oh, I can't be a leader because I'm hitched to crazy. Uh, that's, that's not what this is about. This is about your own development and, and your, the development of your spouse is dependent on your own personal development, on you taking responsibility for your own repentance and your own conviction and your own sin. Uh, that's the, your spouse will gain benefit from you uh, being repentant. This is true, honestly, for all relationships, right? Like if, you're, if you don't have a spouse or you have friends or you have a, just a, a network of friends, 
as you grow, your friends benefit from your growth all the time, every time. If you have a friend that grows, you benefit from their growth. Uh, that's the way this works. It just is uh, exaggerated in marriage because it's uh, such a close relationship. So these deacons are servants uh, and they have this whole list of qualifications. Now, why does Paul write this? All right, uh, and This is the end. Paul says, I'm coming. I'm coming to you, Timothy, uh, but I'm writing these things in case I don't get there in time because I want you to know how you ought to behave in the household of God. So the reason... You, Paul, is, who was the most likely writer of Timothy, is writing these things to Timothy because he wants the church to understand how to behave. What do we do? How do we act? Well, here's a list. Don't be a drunk. Like, don't get drunk. Like, don't gossip about everybody. Don't talk slanderous about other people. Take care of your home. Take care of your children. Learn to teach others. Have people over and be hospitable. Serve the church for its benefit. This is how a Christian behaves. Nowhere, well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so Paul gets really excited about this, and he says, but then he gets all excited about this because the church is the expression of God on earth today. He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. A pillar and buttress of the truth. So it's holding the truth up. If you want to know what the truth is, you should be able to look at the church and it will demonstrate the truth for you. This is the sad failing in our culture, isn't it? That if you ask the average person that doesn't attend church, if there's truth in the church, the answer isn't positive. If you ask them what church is about, a lot of times the answer isn't positive. There's a whole list of negatives that the church has. Uh, like I talked to someone uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, and they thought the church was about having more guns. <laughs> it was on the whole, when the whole gun debate was going on. And that's what they thought about Christians. You know what Christians are? They're those people that want more guns. And it was confusing to them because they thought that was a weird way to love people. <laughs> They had their own political beliefs, and you can guess what they were accordingly. Uh, but they were uh, this was they had not a true view of what the church is. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, "And make sure you have guns." Right? The Bible doesn't speak directly to that. We have to learn what the Bible says and think about it, and people end up at different conclusions, and that's healthy. But when we are the church, we need to be expressing. What the truth is. So the church isn't a political organization based on one issue. The church is an organization that's based on Jesus. And we're going to have all sorts of disagreements about all this other stuff. But we hold Jesus. And this is the truth. And then Paul goes into what Jesus is. Great indeed, we confess that is the mystery of godliness. And then he talks about who Jesus is. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Paul gives a five-six sentence, five-six line view of who God is and what the life of Jesus was all about. And what the church is, is holding up the life of Jesus as a demonstration to the world. If you want to know who Jesus is. 
we invite you to look at the church. This is why the church is such a serious and such a sacred endeavor. When we gather together, it's not because we've got great popcorn, it's because we've got good coffee. It's because we're demonstrating who Jesus is. And we're demonstrating the life of Jesus and what that looks like in Albany in 2013. We're showing the world what the truth is when the church gathers, when the church spreads out, when the church serves and loves. We are showing what the truth is. So that if you're working in the children's ministry and you're done for the day, you worked in the children's ministry so that Jesus would be manifested in the flesh and people would understand that. Or you welcomed people at the door today so that people would know that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Or you gave someone a coffee because Jesus was seen by angels. Or you're on the security team and you take care of things and you wait till I say the code word. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> because Jesus is proclaimed among the nations. Or you drive the truck and you set up chairs in the morning and push those carts because Jesus is believed on in the world. Or you pick up your chair when church is over and set it on a cart and then say hello to someone else because Jesus is being lifted up in glory. Everything we do is because of who Jesus is. And so we seek these offices of leadership because this is a noble task because it's about the character that God is developing in us so that we can communicate who Jesus is to the world. It is a challenge for us, an honest challenge for us, to grow to the point where we're able to say to people, we're not a perfect image of Jesus. The perfect image of Jesus is Jesus. But if you want to know what he might be like, or what we think Jesus might be like, Come to the Grove on a Sunday and, and just watch. You don't, even, you don't even have to listen. You don't even have to believe anything anybody says. But just watch what happens. Watch to see if there's anyone who's being ostracized. Watch to see if there's anyone getting together in a group and talking bad about someone else. Watch to see if there's people there uh, who are drunk <laughs> at the event. <laughs> Watch to see the way that the church handles when it does fall short. Because at some point, some of us are going to sin. Today. <laughs> at lunchtime. <laughs> or later on during this service. Right? We're, we're, we sin. And how we handle that and how we show grace to each other is a demonstration of who we believe Jesus is. It's not just that we're trying to be nice or we're trying to sweep things under or we're trying to do or we're trying to put on a good face. We are honest about who we are because we think that's who Jesus is. Honest. And we're honest about our shortcomings because we think that's who Jesus is. Someone who's made perfect in our weaknesses. I hope that when we go to heaven, if we all go together, you know, asteroid hits a school or something, and we get there and we look at Jesus I hope we say hey he kind of looks like us 
I don't understand how it'll work, but it, uh, it'll be kind of weird. I hope that when I get there, I'll be able to say, I, I can pick Jesus out because I know because I've been in this church and I know what Jesus is like and I know what he looks like because I know what the body of Christ looks like. We're a church not just for ourselves, but we're a church for each other because we're training each other to be able to recognize Jesus when we get to see him. If you grew up in a terrible church and you get to heaven and you meet Jesus, some of you did grow up in terrible churches and you're on kind of a rehab phase right now. You see Jesus and you're like, you don't look, I've never seen anyone like you before. That might be a sign that the church was missing what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. Does that make sense? I want to end with a couple of things. Here's where we should get offensive. Leadership is essential in the church. Three things that I think Paul says. Leadership is essential in the church. Because it's a demonstration of what the gospel is. You should seek to be a servant in this church. You should seek to be an elder in this church. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But if 30 years from now, you're still going to the grove and you haven't grown spiritually to a place where people actually respect your development, we're going to sit down and say, dude, it's been 30 years. <laughs> Alright? <laughs> this doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to be a spiritual king and a spiritual champion in this church. But it does mean you need to be working towards that. You might think, I'm not that old. Right? Or you might not think, I haven't got enough experience for that yet. Nowhere in this list does it talk about age. Nowhere. Nowhere in this list does it talk about a particular gifting other than the teaching gift. Now, this doesn't mean that you stand up in front of everyone and teach, but can you sit down with someone and tell them what the gospel is about? If you've been going to this church for 30 years and you can't, you either need to get fired or I need to get fired. <laughs> All right? We need to get some motivation and we need to understand that we are responsible for raising up the generation behind us. If you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive, you need to dang well step up and start leading in this church. Alright? This is the second part. Some of you might be new converts. We have a lot of new converts in our church. Alright? And we don't expect you to act out Christianity perfectly. We talk to people sometimes. It's a lot of fun for me. Because when you're a new convert, life is kind of messy. Because your friends might hang out and smoke things that now you think is a sin. Right? And you get together with them, and, and it was always a sin, just now you know it. And you get together with them, and you're like, wow, this is weird. But how do I be friends with my friends? Aren't I supposed to be friends with my friends? Right? But my friends are doing this, and I don't think I'm supposed to do that anymore. And so there's all this tension. And as a new convert, it's a primary task to develop your character in the, to start developing the fruit of the Spirit to allow the Spirit to work in you and we want to carry that that means you start looking at these lists of characteristics and start doing those things if you're a new convert invite someone over invite someone over that you trust and then sit down and ask them what's it like to be a Christian have conversations have coffee with someone maybe you don't want to have them at your house go to the Starbucks or go to the Allen Brothers or go wherever Sit down and hang out. Buy their coffee. That's enough hospitality for some of us, right? This is how we grow as Christians. So if you're a new convert, 
If you're a new believer, and I don't know what the date is on that. Some of you have been believers for 10 years. You're not a new believer anymore, okay? Um, if you are a new believer, you are on the road to starting to develop to become a Christian leader. Because the people that Jesus wants leading this church are the experienced believers, and you're going to be that soon. And the new converts that you lead to the Lord are going to be depending on you. Now, that's the second part. Third part. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. And your main like thing that's going to go on your tombstone is, he sure wore a rut in that pew. That means you sat in a pew too much. <laughs> you can go into some of these real, real, real old churches and there's little butt indents. That is hideous. <laughs> that is a denial of the gospel. Because some people... Um, and we get this a lot at the Grove, and I want to be honest about it. Some people go to a church, and they burn you. And they're terrible. We have, uh, more than you know, pastors who end up coming to the Grove. Because their church uh, stabbed them. Uh, and, and it was terrible to them. Uh, metaphorically, usually. Um, but there is this kind of... Um, recovery thing that we do at the Grove because we're doing Christianity in a way I think that is shaping the future of Christianity and that might be overreaching us but I think we're having an impact in the world as far as what it means to follow Jesus I'm, and I can, we can talk about that another time but some of you have been Christians for a long time and you've been coming here for a long time and you still don't do jack and there's no uh, there's no line in the Bible for that there's no space in the Bible for people to sit back and watch what the church does. There's no space in the Bible for people to say, yeah, I'm a part of the Grove. How are you a part of the Grove? I watch it happen every week. Do you pray for it? Oh, no. I, well, I pray for it when I'm at it. No. You're not a part of the Grove. That's the offensive part. Are you catching this? <laughs> there is... Christians who are down with it and doing it and for some reason we have this other category of Christians who are watching it happen and you're going to get to heaven and be like oh I'm so excited to be here where are the stands because I want to sit and watch people worship Jesus this is going to be fun to watch when the proper response is I want to actually worship Jesus now this doesn't mean that you need to sign up for volunteering on the back of your card right because I understand I've been burnt by the church just as much as anyone else has been burnt by the church. Alright? I, I get that. But I don't stop loving the church. And here's the thing. My very best friends have forgiven me for when I failed and love me in spite of who I am not because of who I am. Our love for the church isn't because of who the church is. It's because of who the church could be. It's in spite of who the church is. If you come here long enough, I promise someone here will hurt you. There's a high chance it'll be me. <laughs> I'll say something inappropriate because I don't use notes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you can love us in spite of us, then you will be serving in the church. 
So I'm not going to say, okay, now pull out your communication card and sign up for one of these six things. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's the pragmatic way to guilt you into serving in this church. But I have no interest in guilting you. If you feel guilty, that's your problem, not mine. All right? We can, I can help you with your problem. But if you feel guilty, I want you to have a conversation with Jesus about that. And then I want you to do something. Even in the Bible, even widows. If you're an old lady in the Bible whose husband has died, and the reason that's an important thing is because they know how, they had, if they didn't have family, they had no way to provide for themselves. There's no like welfare system or social security in the Roman Empire. All right? Even they were given the responsibility of praying for the church. The widows who were supported by the church were given the support as a salary and they were hired as designated prayers. It's a staff position that churches in America don't hold. Uh, we, should, we will someday. <laughs> we will start to understand the importance of prayer. If you do nothing or you, and you have some kind of weird excuse... The Bible doesn't recognize your excuse. The Bible says, even the old ladies who had no way to support themselves prayed for the church like crazy people. And I'm not talking, oh yeah, I prayed for them when I thank God for my food. Thank you for my church too. No. These people were like, get down on their knees and get down on their face. Open up Grove book and go through the list. Open up the Grove Facebook page and pray for everyone who likes the Grove. Praying for the pastors, praying for the team leaders, praying for the kids. For real. And so I'm not going to evaluate you and sit here and see if you're serving in some kind of way. I'm not going to be checking to see who's here to set up chairs next week, right? Because maybe you're serving in a way that I don't see. There's all sorts of things that go on the grove that I don't know. So I'm, this isn't me evaluating you. This is me saying, if you want to follow Jesus in the way that the Bible describes, then you exist in the church not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of your church family. If you disappeared, people in the church should notice. Let me pray for you. God, we pray that your spirit will convict us in appropriate ways. We pray that we wouldn't have shame or guilt, but we would be forgiven in Christ for that. And we pray that you would bring us to growth in the qualifications for leadership for our church because we love this church so much. And we don't love this church for what it is, we love this church for whose bride it is. It's just like our close friends and our brothers and sisters and we love their spouse because of who they're married to. We love this church because it is the bride of Christ. God, we pray forgiveness for those of us who are new believers or those of us who, who we pray that you would forgive us for our, our faults Lead us through repentance, forgive us for our sin, and lead us into the characteristics of leadership so that we can grow into what the Bible calls deacons, or we call team leaders, and what the Bible calls overseers, we call elders, or pastors, or shepherds, or small group leaders, life group leaders. We pray that you would lead us in that direction. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, and maybe have been burnt by churches, we pray that you would forgive us for our bitterness, that you would allow us to forgive those who hurt us, in a real and honest way. And I don't say that cheaply, God. I mean that for real. And I pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that we would desire to serve the people of this church. I pray that you would be our motivation 
And if it's too much that you would cause us, even in our homes, to be praying for your spirit to be working out in this church, may you do great, great thing. In your name, amen.